Wednesday, October the 11th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me today, Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray from our political staff, and I am delighted to welcome Sinn Féin spokesperson on finance, Piers Doherty, back to the studio. Hi, Piers. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, the reason you're here, of course, is that this is the day after Budget Day, and we want to dig into a few of the main themes which have come up um, since yesterday's events in, in Dáil Éireann. Piers, uh, as I suppose we would expect, you were robust in your criticism of Budget 2024 yesterday in your, in your response. Could you just give us an overall picture of what's wrong with it in your view? Well, what's wrong with it is that they have completely ignored the housing crisis. They've decided not to provide any additional capital above what they had already planned for. They've not revised any of the targets that they had in terms of new housing that they would build in 2024. Um and at a time when the government announced 14 billion euro of expenditure, a time when we have billions of euro of surplus, I think that's genuinely unforgivable when we think about nearly 4,000 people in emergency accommodation today. And all of the indicators are going wrong. Like the numbers of people in homelessness increase month after month. House prices continue to rise. Rents are, are, are beyond the reach of, are squeezing so many families. And a, a lot of young people have lost, have lost hope that, you know, that this, that this, the state can actually serve their needs and are deciding to emigrate. So I think it's, it's it's unforgivable, in my view, not to actually provide additional resources to build the necessary homes that we need. And so, when you say the surplus, you would have diverted some of that surplus, for, for example, some of the, some of the money that went into these new funds. Yeah, into, so we, in, we, into we, we outlined our plan. So we would have built seven thousand three hundred more homes, or built or acquired uh, those homes next year uh, above what the government's targets are. So it's an extra one point seven billion euro um, of money that would have been made available. And even with our plans, when you look at that on housing, what we'd have done on health and all of the cost living package and many of it we've seen the government implement, what you would still have a surplus of over €8 billion. Euro. And I think that's reasonable. But see if you do not invest in housing now, we seriously are risking the, the, the economy in the future. Like there's not a Chamber of Commerce that will speak to you or even a foreign direct investment that won't tell you that the number one issue on their agenda is the issue of housing. It's absolutely the same now in, in Letterkenny or in McCroom as it is now in Dublin. It's a major, major issue right across the state. So we need to build those houses. We need to also deal with the social consequences of that. And it's, I think it's like... The, the government may have had excuses in the past, or at least they would have been able to offer excuses in the past, but at a time when we have the resources to decide not to do that, as I said, is unforgivable. And they've done the same on health. So all the chatter around Leinster House across the political parties is health was abandoned by this government. Uh, it's worse than what we thought. Uh, we were hearing all the rumours in relation to that uh, there wouldn't be no additional expenditure in terms of health. We know it's clear from when you dig into the figures that they don't even have enough money to stand still. Uh, so the the standstill money that is provided, which is just about keeping the lights on, keeping the, the in pace with the cost of inflation, no improvement in the services. What the government provided this year was seven hundred and eight million euro. Um, the HSC and the department told us it was in excess of a billion that they needed, uh, and that's less than what they provided last year. So there is no there is no additional money in in, in real terms, uh, and the money to stand still doesn't cover it. So, like how a cabinet can sit down and say in all consciousness with eyes wide open and say the health service is going to be worse next year than it is this year, it's simply not acceptable. It wouldn't like. Because we'll all hear the we'll all hear those stories. We'll hear the story of the the child who's waiting, you know, five and six years for the scoliosis operation, who's contorted because her back is, you know, her spine is now contorted ninety degrees. We'll we'll hear about the the elderly person who's in A and E who can't get a bed. We'll hear all of those stories over the next year. But it is budget day that you decide to set a pathway out to. to do we want to have a corrective action? Do we want to invest in health? 
And it's really embarrassing for the minister. The minister announced on three different occasions this year, 1,500 rapid build beds, three different announcements. He didn't get a penny, not one cent, to build any of those beds. Like, I just do not understand how Cabinet could have decided to do this in terms of health. So, so Pat, Pierce has identified what we know are the two key issues in Irish politics and have been for some time and, and uh, are set to, to remain so up until and beyond the next election. Uh, and in both cases, I suppose his overall, his overall view is that not a lot, an awful lot has been done. And that's probably true, isn't it? Take them one at a time on housing, first of all. Let me just go back to, you're talking about the two key issues in, in Irish politics. I think if you look at the polling, it would suggest that there's three key issues in Irish politics. There's housing, health and the cost of living. And um, I, I was in the chamber for Pierce's uh, speech there and uh, yesterday and, 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 and I watched it closely and I reread it uh, last night. And uh, first of all, on, on, on a point of procedure, uh, as it were, um, there was a time when uh, opposition, the chief opposition spokesman for finance was the worst job on budget day because you only got the budget speech when the minister stood up. And I remember watching Richard Bruton as, uh, as it was then and, 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 and his predecessor sitting there frantically calculating with people passing him, uh, p- passing him notes and he was working his so calculator. So Pierce can be grateful to this leaky government. Uh, <laughs> he, can, he can be grateful uh, in, in this and in many other respects to the Irish Times, no doubt, for, yeah, uh, for informing him what was coming. But I suspect he was given the speech a little bit beforehand. No, uh, no, 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 no. The speech is a very clear closely guarded, um, uh, you know, we, we do not get the speech beforehand. No, look, I've done responded now to 14 different budgets in, in opposition. And um, and yes, as the years go on, the budget is announced by yourselves and others before, uh, before it's announced by the minister. You always have to be careful that there's a number of things that have to be double checked in relation to. So we would have expected some measures that we thought might have been in it that weren't in it. And you also have to check the numbers. But most of the budget now is announced beforehand. And so we rely on the media and the leaks that are coming from government to indicate beforehand. But yeah, it's and completely to be perfectly, different. To be honest, I was knocking around the office yesterday and it was kind of the same in here. You know, people had started writing yeah. those articles before it's a far they cry came out from of the, the minister's mouth. The Charlie know. McCreevy days when, you know, nobody knew, including his own ministers, what he was going to announce. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, look, we are pleased to be of assistance in this and, uh, <laughs> and in other regards. So, um, but looking at Pierce's speech, I think you majored off on, uh, on housing and the Sinn Féin alternative budget, correct me if I'm wrong, promises extra capital investment and I think you mentioned about 7,000 extra houses as opposed to the 14,000 that the government uh, seem, uh, pr- promises to build. Um, also, I suppose your secondary theme then was, uh, was on health. And I, I think we're always, Jen and I and the other Paul Cars are always on the lookout for the budget landmine that explodes on day two. And, and it's often day two, sometimes even yeah. day three, when people begin to pick into the budget because there's so much information in it and they begin to pick through it and see what it, see what it means. I think um, I, th- I think if there is to be a landmine in this budget, I think it, uh, it might very well be the allocation to the Department of Health and Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, who, and, and, and you know, Invaluable as they all are to parliamentary sketch writers, I think the the practice of uh, interpreting body language of politicians in the doll is one that is fraught with risk. That having been said, Stephen Donnelly did not look like no, a happy man. He looked like a chewed in the chamber yesterday, and I think he's doing his press conference this morning. I would say that will be pretty well attended, and I think there will be some pretty tough and that, questions. And there. that was the sparkiest um, w- argument within within government, wasn't it? Health, 
going back weeks now, you know, there were there was bits of leaking going out, there was stuff coming yeah. out about how much the department was going to need, there was pushback from the uh, expenditure and finance departments. It was relatively I public. Think, yeah, yeah. There, there, there were some, what I gather, are, are yeah. even by the standards of the genre, pretty fractious budget meetings between the Department of Public Expenditure and the Department of Health. Department of Health was looking for an extra... 2 billion. It got 800 million plus another 1 billion fund mm. that doesn't appear in their budget but is described as non-core expenditure. And yeah. if you look at Pascal Donahue's speech, there's some fairly tough language in it about budgetary controls in health. And it seems to me that that health funding is going to be an ongoing difficulty for this government over the course uh, over the course of next year. So what does that mean, Jen? I mean, that, that discretionary expenditure, does that mean that there's tighter control of such a thing as possible from, from Merrion Street over the Department of Health on, on, on these kind of budget overruns from now yeah, on? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's this huge, you know, anger, I think you could say, about these overruns, isn't there? There is huge anger of, uh, about the overruns. A lot of tension, uh, as Pat mentioned, in the budget bilaterals. And there's also this feeling from people in the Department of Health that they were being unfairly blamed uh, in those talks um, for basically scuppering all ministers or their room for manoeuvre. Um, and, you know, people in the Department of Health would say that they made it clear last year what extra funding they would need this year when you factor in inflation and COVID um, and that basically they weren't listened to. And they're basically the argument to the Department of Health is we told you we need this money and you're going to act surprised now and blame us in, in budget talks. But I think what it really means long term, if you look through the budget book in the section on the Department of Health, they very clearly, there's a very clear paragraph there about performance savings in the HSE. I asked Pascal Donoghue about this last night and, you know, I kind of said, well, what kind of cuts are you looking for? Have you got a figure on that? Like, what exactly do those performance savings look like? And he got, I thought, kind of annoyed. You know, he was saying, we're putting extra money into the health service. We're putting 800 million into the health service. We're not cutting services. Um, but the question is, well, is this performance enough? Performance savings aren't necessarily cuts, are they? They're no, better well, performance. So what I think what he's talking about is he's saying that the level of recruitment within the health service far outstrips what the government has provided financially and that that's due to happen again next year. And he's saying where that happens, it will have to stop. So I guess what we're talking about is a further freeze, maybe on administrative posts, managerial posts. But I think it's going to be a really, really difficult year next year for the HSE. Um, I'm, I am interested kind of in, in, in Sinn Féin's position as well because I know like in your alternative budget you kind of acknowledge that there will be a need for a supplementary estimate but that it would have to be on a downward trajectory. Um, I guess I, I was wondering kind of how would how would you work that? You know, how do you decide exactly what size downward trajectory is acceptable and is accepting like a supplementary budget kind of just saying the same thing as the government shrugging your shoulders and saying it'll always be this bad, it'll always be thuds. No, I, I don't think so. And I, I think you've got, you had the nail on your head in, in relation to the earlier comments because the government will present it as an overrun um, and the HSE and the department are saying this is an underprovision. So what you've done, what the government have done now is ensure that there's going to be an overrun next year. That's That's the reality, which... It's not really an overrun. It's you didn't give us enough money actually to treat patients, and that's and they've done this in all consciousness. And like and in fairness, the department and the HSE are calling the government out on this issue, and every politician knows that there's a serious issue now with the money that was allocated to health. Uh, so it's very easy to say, oh, it's it's an overrun. But what did they do? Did they close the doors and did they just turn away patients? Like that's that's the problem. The HSE has calculated this, but there are savings that you can make because our hospital, and this is why we say it needs to be in a downward trajectory. Because, first of all, we need to provide the money that the health service needs 
to function next year. So we would have provided in terms of existing level service another half a billion euro. And then Is that top, on top of the existing yeah, level service? Yes, yes, but yes. That's still, so that would bring it to like 13, 13 yes. uh, 1, 1.3 billion. And then on top of that, still and then on top of that, there's about... below what the health service says it needs. Well, no, actually in terms of ES, uh, ELS, they're talking about 1 billion that we're seeing. Um, so but they only got eight hundred. They only yesterday. got seven hundred and eight yesterday. Uh, we would have given another a half a billion on top of that, uh, and on top of that, there is additional measures, uh, which is one point three billion that we would have provided to the health service. And crucially, some of those additional measures are key to dealing with the issues, the the, the, the high costs that are in health service. So some of the high costs in health services, we're spending a huge amount of, of money on agency. The hospitals are operating at a crisis point. If any organisation operates at a crisis point, it becomes very expensive to actually deal with that. If we have, if we're not able to see patients uh, in time, it becomes far more ex- expensive to treat them. If we're not providing extra capacity uh, at local level in terms of our community hospital, the cost of keeping a patient in a hospital is triple what it would be in terms of a community hospital. So the type of plan that David Colnan has put forward in terms of those 1,800 beds rolled out over a period of three years with some of them coming online next year is the type of investment we need to actually bring down the type of crisis spending that we're seeing in health, making some savings, but also providing the necessary supports for health, the health service here and now. Is it the case, Pat, that really what the what the government has done really is just thrown its hands up in the air about health? I just said it's just going to limp along like the wounded beast that it has been for many years and we can't fix it. I, that's what it looks like. I think there's a there's almost a sense of that about it yesterday. It's clearly it's clearly the case that uh that the the demand led elements of the health service continue to expand and the discussion, as I understand it, within government at the moment is, is that a temporary? So there's hospitals had up to, tw- and part, a lot of the big overrun in the health budget is in hospitals. It's just there's more people coming through the uh, the doors of the hospitals this year. And demand has increased between, depending on the hospital, between kind of 17, 21%, that sort of thing. Now, so the question is, is that just a temporary post-COVID surge in demand or is that the new level at which demand for health services are settling at? And it looks to me like they've decided just to fudge that question. They would give a supplementary. They will give the, the health service will require another supplementary, possibly a very large one next year. But they will see does the demand continue to expand next year, whether it settles at a more normal level. Yeah, and there's also this view of, you know, we give you a supplementary budget pretty much every year. Now, not every year for the last decade, but most of them. And, you know, is there a feeling within the HSC of, well, we'll get the money anyway? Is this the government's way of saying you won't get the money anyway and you do have to, you know? Yeah, I think you, you'll get the money anyway seems get to the be money the anyway, approach yeah. of the Department of Health to yeah. these negotiations. And that doesn't seem to have worked. Also, yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt no. you, Piers. Um, I don't know whether we normally swear on this podcast. Oh, we do, we do. We can bleed this out. With restraint. With restraint. uh, Quite appropriate. But I often want to, and I do swear a lot, as Pat knows, uh, in in my personal life, so it's often really hard not to. Like a sailor. I really do. I did in front of one of Pat's children once, and he gave me the evils. But um, (laughs) Something they would never have heard before. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly on budget night. But someone in Leinster House said to me yesterday when they were given their summary on what they thought was the situation in the Department of House, they're like, it's a shit show. And they're like, but the attitude is, let's just keep this shit show 
show on the road. And that's exactly what it is. It's like it's a walking disaster. And let's just give it enough for it to continue to be a walking disaster. And I think when you get towards an election and you see these two gaping holes in the budget, housing and health, which have been the gaping holes like in this government policy from the get-go, you'd have to wonder, you can throw um, billions and billions of euro at a cost of living package. And Sinn Féin's cost of living package is extremely similar to the budgets. And I know you said yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they implemented your post. They're very similar. A lot of the things, all the lump sum payments um, are the are almost the exact same. Even the increase in the minimum wage, Sinn Féin 150, it's going to go up by 140. All of that's quite samey, samey. The real issue here is not how much money you throw temporarily. It's what do people take from it housing-wise. And one of the big things about renters, so obviously it's great to say you pump loads of money into capital investment, but you need, you know, houses in the pipeline so then I think Sinn Féin, your alternative budget, talk about renters and putting an extra month's rent back in people's pocket. So what the government have decided to do is a 750-year 700, renter's credit. So that's increased from 500. Um, that costs 288 million. What Sinn Féin have proposed, if I'm not incorrect, is a month's rental, though I'm not sure exactly how much yeah, with a minimum that equates of, to. With a minimum of 750 and um, up to 2,000 euro back into your pocket. Does that and, depend and on where the, you live or is there... It's a, it's, it's, it's based on a month's rent back in your pocket with a minimum that every renter can get is 750 euro and a maximum that a tenancy can get is 2,000 uh, euro. So... But the difference is, and the, the, the key difference, because we forced the government into that position, Pascal Donoghue used to tell me that that would be money just into landlords' pockets. I agree with him, because the second part and the most crucial part of our proposal was you have to ban rent increases for a period of time. So rents are rising more than what the additional rent credit was. So it, it is very much going to end up into landlords' pockets. And it's also designed in a way that is so convoluted, so challenging for people to actually avail off by approaching their landlord, looking for details from their landlords that a lot of tenants don't want to go to the landlords because they're feared of the no, rent. No, a lot of people the, don't the take rent, it up. And you were critical as well of you were comparing it to the, the, the new relief for landlords as well, yeah. which, as as you phrased it, I think the that there was twice as much money going to landlords yeah. as there were to renters in a, in a, at a time of crisis for renters. Yeah, and I said it's one of the most stupidest uh, tax reliefs I've seen in recent times. Um, so would you withdraw that if you're in government absolutely. for the years time? Look, the experts in the department, and not, look, the Minister for Finance doesn't have to listen to experts all the time they, they, you know they, they listen to them but he or she has to make the decision I completely accept that but they've been very blunt in relation to this here tax is not a driving issue in relation to why small landlords are leaving the sector the RTB did their own survey in relation to why it's happening they've looked at a number of reasons and it's not the issue of tax actually tax on landlords have come down over the last number of years tax on landlords have not increased so we have 100% now deductibility offset in relation to mortgage interest which we didn't have a number of years the changes in the tax bans benefit landlords as well so actually tax is reduced on landlords not actually increasing. Mm. So what the government have done is they've decided to give 600 this year up to 1,000 in, in, in future years to all landlords where the vast majority of them according to the survey and we all know this anyway are of no intention of leaving the sector. This is costing 160 million euro in a, in a full year and will go up to 270 million euro. And the problem is even for those who are thinking of leaving it's not going to make a blind bit of difference. House prices have increased on average €20,000 every single year. A €600 Euro or a €1,000 tax relief for a landlord isn't going to be the defining point whether I'm going to sell up or not. As the, as the surveys show, it is because they are cashing in. House prices are so high that they're cashing in. Accidental landlords who are now out of negative equity are cashing in. Is there some also, possibility they're cashing in as well at the prospect of a Sinn Féin government freezing rents in the 18 months' time? That, that I, I, might be a reason to get out of the market? Well, Perligus here... Let me say this, and you know, government could argue that point, but they've been cashing in for the last six years. 
right? And six years ago, I don't think people were thinking that there would be a Sinn Féin-led government, in fairness. They were doing that. The trajectory is the same. And the department have said very clearly that there is actually no policy that you can stop these small landlords actually leaving the sector because they are accidental landlords in the first instance. The key thing is that they're selling their houses maybe back into the rental sector, maybe it's to a first-time buyer and all the rest. What we actually need to do is build more homes. We need to build cost rental homes, we need to build affordable homes and social homes, and we need to facilitate the private sector and build more themselves. And this is the gaping hole in terms of government. So like we've given money just to landlords, just you know, for the sake of it, it's, it makes no sense whatsoever. And it's a, it's a daft idea and it will not work, which is worse. And it's 160 million this year that should have gone into building houses on state land and actually trying to drive down house prices. Pat referred earlier to cost of living being the sort of the third leg of this particular stool of, of this budget. And one of the cost of living measures does relate to property, actually. It's mortgage interest relief. Sinn Féin, we're looking for targeted mortgage interest relief. And that's happened. So is that basically a success for you, your policies being implemented? It is. We've been raising mortgage interest relief since December of last year. Uh, We fought it tooth and nail. We've had government minister after government minister. I'm sure they're, uh, you know, trying recalling all the times they opposed the measure and said that it was uh, daft and all the rest. Um, They're on on record in the Dáil as opposing it on several occasions. Yeah, and on radios and the junior minister has been very vociferous in in relation to opposition to to Sinn Féin and people would say we would crash the economy by doing stuff like this here, you know. But anyway, look, like like a lot of these measures, like the renter's tax relief, government fought this tooth and nail as well and we'd be able to push government into a position where they didn't want to go in the first instance. We're still critical of this measure and, and there is no sense to what Michael McGrath has announced in relation to the fact that those with uh, mortgages less than €80,000 are locked out of this scheme. Like this is supposed to be a cost of living support uh, and people, somebody who may be listening to this podcast with a mortgage, say they took out a mortgage of €300,000, they've paid it back over the last 15, 16, 17 years, they now have 75000 left in it. In the last year, they would have seen their mortgage interest rates go up by nearly €2,000 and they're going to get nothing. And that doesn't make any sense where somebody on a variable rate with maybe more of a mortgage has actually seen their interest rates go up by less and they okay, will well, get I'm support. I'm slightly out of my comfort zone on this, but what I remember of mortgages, if, you get, if you're getting down to the last 25% or there, but you're, you're, you're largely paying off capital more than interest at that point. So the pain of these interest rates is not going to be as high. So somebody on €75,000 on a tracker rate Somebody on €75,000 on a tracker rate will have seen their mortgage increase in the last, since July of last year, by 18000 by what? sorry, by 1800 and about €60. Euro. Uh, that's on a tracker rate. Uh, somebody on a variable rate on the, uh, with the vultures will have been in, this, in the same situation. So it's close to €2,000 that they would have seen their interest rates increase and they're locked out of the scheme. And there is no sense to, and when I put this to Minister McGrath yesterday, he says, well, they have more equity in their property. And they do have more equity in their property. But that means nothing unless they're going to refinance and is he seriously saying that they're refinancing their house so you may have a variable rate just let's say that you have a variable rate with uh, with with Bank of Ireland so your interest has gone up less than if you were with a vulture mm. so a person with a, with a vulture with less than 80,000 their interest has gone up 2,000 euro you, your interest may have only gone up by 1,000 euro uh, yet you're going to get the relief and the other person isn't and it's just not fair there's no sense to the 80,000 that's not changed it's just not fair bill. If that if that eighty thousand floor doesn't go down to fifty thousand, because it probably won't be a, a really significant increase in in the, in the overall cost of it, will it, Pat? If they 
if they if they uh, look, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know, but if, yeah. if so the we're co- all outside you know, if the, if the costs <laughs> if the costs of it are whatever two hundred forty million, then yeah, they're probably not. And just just to be clear for you know non budget nerds amongst uh, amongst the listeners, after the budget is announced, the government introduces the finance bill, mm-hmm. which is the legislation that gives. Uh, force to many of the budget measures, and so that will happen. That will happen over the over the coming weeks. So what often happens is that if something is announced in the budget and there's a bit of an outcry about it, it the measure will be tweaked in the finance bill when it comes to legislation, because very many of these measures that were announced yesterday won't come into effect until next year or until the finance bill is passed. Yeah, the concrete levy being an example of that last year was a small line in the budget, I think that was last year anyway, and caused massive controversy. And that kind of led to a lot of debate around up leading into the finance bill. So it was then watered down actually quite significantly. And it's going to be watered down again because not not once in the public haven't been aware of this yet, but not once have they got uh, have they made a mistake in terms of the con- concrete levy. And we pointed this out to them during the finance bill, but they ignored it and there was a guillotine on it that poured concrete uh, would be subject to this levy and, and therefore what was supposed to be exempt is going to be captured. The minister has acknowledged that he's going to correct it. But they also have defined concrete wrong in the actual original legislation, and I have correspondence from the depart uh, from the revenue commissioner now that because they they have to bring in concrete blocks and plus what's called lightweight concrete blocks, aer- aerated concrete blocks, um, but aerated concrete blocks don't have some of the characteristics that concrete blocks have in them, and therefore now aerated concrete blocks, these lightweight concrete blocks, are all exempt from the concrete levy, and the uh, revenue have just confirmed this to me earlier this week, which crucially. The um, the finance officials said they needed to include these blocks because of the issue legal issues in terms of substitution. I.e., you cannot tax one type of block where a person can go and get a different type of block to build the same house. So these are the kind of. I, 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 I don't think you should be coming in here, you know, without a command of detail of these sort of things. But these are the kind of dizzying complexities, I suppose, which are the, which are the reasons why something like the the government announced yesterday was going to target introducing tax on vaping. But it isn't doing it this year, probably because they're afraid of making exactly the same kind of mistake Actually, as Pierce. Yes, described. you make such a good point there because just thinking about it last night, lots of people talk about this is an election budget. You know, there's something for everybody. It's something always for everyone, except for when times are awful. Um, and you know, you see like the, the cuts in USC income tax, um, but then if you drill down into it, childcare twenty five percent cut. Um, Leo Varker said earlier this year we don't have the money for it realistically in the budget, and everyone was kind of like what. And I remember we had it on our front page and there was kind of an effort behind the scenes in the Department of Taoiseach to kind of slowly roll back to other journalists like, well, he said it, but he didn't quite mean it. He did mean it. Um, and if you look at what's what they've planned now is there will be 25% cut, but not until next September. They're also planning changes to the foster, um, foster carers payments, but not until the end of next year. The Climate Fund, which the Greens were championing yesterday, was saying it's 3.1 billion and... You know, now you can see the green influence on government. You've never seen such money put aside for climate funds in the future, not until 2025, 2026. Um, And when you look at it, and like you said, vaping, very (laughs) popular amongst younger people, I'd say, um, these are all things that have been pushed till after an election, I think. You know, all decisions and even health. Maybe they've just decided we don't actually have to deal with health because somebody else might be dealing with it by then. But it, it strikes me that a lot of the hard parts, which is actually not that unusual, are pushed off for another day. So it's an election budget in another way. Well, hold that thought because we want to yeah. get into that a little bit more. But we have our own budgets that we have to look after. So we're going to take an ad break. And also we're going to encourage you, as we always try to do, if you don't subscribe to irishtimes.com to do so, immediately go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe. 
And you're very welcome back. Uh, Pierce was giving uh, Jennifer some interesting uh, sideways information there the as well. Over here. Can, uh, <laughs> she, she, she can investigate. But we were talking about long term versus the short term, which is always an issue in uh, in in budgets. And one of the striking parts of this budget, Pat, was these two new funds. Maybe you could just tell us what they are and what they're for. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this is probably the most significant thing in the budget is the creation of these two long-term funds, which will be laid down in law, which is, I think, significant. We might come to discuss that with Pierce in a few minutes. But basically, there'll be one long-term Future Ireland or Ireland Future uh, Fund, whatever it's called, which Michael McGrath said yesterday, that by the middle of the next decade, you know, could have 100 billion in it in, in, in terms of savings. That will set aside a proportion of GDP actually is how it's defined, I think, every year to go into uh, to go into that. It's essentially to capture those um, uh, the, those windfall corporation tax revenues that the government has been putting aside for the last year and are now going to go into this new fund and also into a shorter term fund, which will get two billion every year for the next seven years. We'll have fourteen billion in it, and that is for infrastructure climate action and nature. And uh, that, I think, will primarily be utilised certainly over the next couple of years or is designed to be utilised to help Ireland uh, achieve its carbon reduction targets. And uh, I think the significant thing about these being laid down in law is that, you know, the next government and Pierce, maybe the Minister for Finance, uh, in, an, in, in the next government will be bound by law to put aside this money. Now, it'll be interesting to see. Unless it changes the law. Unless it changes the law. And of course it can do that. And no, you know, no government can bind the hands of its successors. But what they can do is make it more difficult for their successors to do certain things. And I think that that is what this is uh, is designed to do. Pierce, what's Sinn Féin's approach to these funds? Yeah, like, well, first of all, as I said, we, we designed a budget that had the necessary investment in health and housing and dealing with the cost of living with still a surplus of 8 billion euro. So the idea of investing that money in terms of putting it in a fund is, is a good one. We're, 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 we're fine with that. We supported the concept of the, the what's called the rainy day fund. Um, but the issue we had with that is how it could be drawn down. Now, it's be, we're going to get rid of the rainy day fund and there is serious issues. And IFAC have pointed out those same issues in terms of how you could draw down money with the, the, the rainy day fund. Fund. Last year we put money into the rainy day fund. We supported that proposal. So just just to be to be clear on that, um, and Pat's point is right. Yeah, you, you lay down this in law, but just actually look at the rainy day fund. The rainy day fund was laid, laid down in law as well, and it stipulated how much money has to go in it every year. I think three years in a row, Pascal Donoghue had to bring a resolution before the doll not to put the money in it. The only money went into it just recently. Um, actually, last year was where the, the money actually last, they, went. They, they caught up last year, so they didn't put yeah. the money into the rainy day fund because of COVID, but then there was such a surplus last year. Uh, even, before COVID, they, even before COVID, they didn't they didn't put it in. So, you, you know, like, yes, it's in law, but you will have, like, it'll be dependent on where, where you're at. But sure. if you're having these type of surpluses, and the surpluses we have at the minute are expected to grow, and they're to grow beyond the window, full taxes so we're you know next the year after next it's to grow to 16 billion of that the department of finance is reckoning between 4 and 6 billion of that surplus is actually you know tax that we are n- that that's solid that we're not going to lose it's not in any way deemed as windfall so there, there there is huge surplus there that we need to make sure that we're getting 
we're getting return from. So the rainy day fund at the minute doesn't actually have any return and it makes sense for the NTMA to invest in this money like they did with the old National Pension Reserve Fund. But we'll all remember what Fianna Fáil did with that the last time when it went to Anglo. So there, there is a return that we can get for, for, for this money. The crucial thing for us is it cannot be the expense of what is needed now. So Jennifer talked about climate, for example. We're, we've got the highest emissions in Europe Ireland has. Like, we're, we're one of four European countries where emissions are, are increasing, and yet there is no serious additional money for climate action measures in this and a promise for something in 2026. It's not acceptable. So you can do both. You can, you can make the necessary investment in the medium and long term in health and housing and climate action and still have healthy surpluses that can be invested into the future in terms of some of the issues that we have in terms of pensions. Everybody talks about pensions in the long term, but actually health is one of the biggest expenditures that we're going to have in the long, uh, long term. Um, you, so you can make that type of investment so that we have resources there and also an infrastructure fund that does make sense. That does make sense because some of the problem with capital programs is inflation or costs can actually jeopardise a capital program, and therefore, by having a fund of this n- nature, depending on how it can be drawn down, will give certainty to projects, will give certainty to to the industry that there is the resources there and a pipeline there to actually carry but out. But are the you projects. not tempted? Is Sinn Fein not tempted because of the scale of the housing home, homelessness crisis, because of the problems of the health service, because there are other major items on Sinn Fein's agenda, for example? being much more forceful and active in, in moves towards a united Ireland, um, that all these things are imperatives, which we should be using that money for sooner rather than later. Well, look, you know, as I said, as an opposition, and people say it's easier in opposition than it is in, in government, but as an opposition, we did an alternative with an 8.1 billion euro surplus. So we could have argued that you actually should use an extra 4 billion euro on housing or health. There's a certain level in terms of capacity. There's also issues that you have to worry about in terms of inflation. And so so it makes sense in relation to the programme that we've put forward, but also to be, you know, to be, to be certain that there is resources that they're there in the future. The second part that underpins our budget is that none of the potential windfall taxes, and when we talk about windfall taxes of corporation tax receipts, they're not windfall in the traditional sense where, you know, you might get a fine that's paid by a bank and the central bank gives it to the state and that's a windfall, it's a one-off. These are windfall taxes, not because we expect them to disappear, but because they're highly concentrated and they're high risk. Um, and therefore, it is appropriate to treat them as windfall. But they may be there for a long, long time. And that's why it is important that we actually use that money now to invest in the future. So look, we, we've put forward a, a budget that shows that you can actually and make sure that we have the necessary investment there, that can the, the rainy day fund, if you want to call it that, um, while at the same time making the type of initiatives, the investment we need in climate and housing and health. And that's that's the problem with government. And I, I, I really think they took a big gamble. I, 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 think they've caught, I think they misunderstand the public. I really do. I think everybody who got an extra fiver or tenner is going to be really, really welcome of that because of the cost of living crisis. But I think the government misunderstand the anger and outrage that people, decent people have when they see what's happening in our hospitals or with children with scoliosis or people in emergency accommodation or grandmothers looking at their grandchildren leaving for Australia. I think they've miscalculated that and I think it's going to come back to them in a big time in 2024. What's your read on that overall, Jen, in terms of the overall reaction that you expect to this budget? In terms of what Pierce just said? Yeah. Oh yeah, none of that surprises me. That's all Sinn Féin's position. I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me is you're talking about taking money um, out of a pot for 
climate-related measures. And I suppose one of the questions I would have would be, and Sinn Féin policy would be around the carbon tax, which I know the party has traditionally been um, against and has voted against. Um, and, you know, the, the, it is projected to bring in around 10 billion, 9.5 billion, up to, up to 2030, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, a lot of that money has been funneled kind of into fuel poverty, into retrofitting. And my question would be, if you were to remove that, if you were to abolish that, if you were in, in, in government, is that effectively not doing what you were kind of just giving out about in terms of taking money out of investment uh, in, in very much needed climate measures? Well, again, you can see from our alternative, we are not supportive of increase in, in carbon tax. And the first, the, 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 the most immediate impact that people will have from the budget is the price of petrol went up this morning. That's the most immediate. They voted on it last night. We voted against that. And it's the carbon tax increase that went on petrol and diesel. For people who are using home heat and oil, two-thirds in my own constituency, one-third across the state, you'll see home heat and oil go up again. And and we believe that that's the wrong way, the wrong approach. Um, because for a lot of people, home heat and oil, there is no alternative to it. They don't have the money to go air to water. They don't have the money, the 25000 for the retrofits. So we needed to make significant investment. And we've shown how we would put €540 million Euro extra in terms of climate action, proper retrofit uh, supports, making it more accessible to people in low and middle income earners without carbon taxes. So like, the question for government is this. Is carbon tax a, a behavioural tax? I.e., does it is it, are we going to just push up the price to stop people driving or to stop people using home heat and oil? And that can work. Let, let me be clear: we support behavioural taxes. There's behavioural taxes and loads of things, cigarettes, um, sweet and sugar drinks, and all the rest. That can the taxes like that can work when there is affordable and readily available alternatives. There isn't at the minute. So what we're saying to government is you have to use far more carrot and less stick. Or is the question of, is carbon tax just a way of funding the measures? And if that's the case, we can show you a different way of but funding the measures. But it's supposed to be both, isn't it? But it's, it doesn't... It, it, I mean, it, that's the way... From, 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 kind from of behavioural, it doesn't seriousness work. about climate, though. Petrol and diesel went, at tw tw went up to 220 last year. It didn't stop people driving their cars. They still needed it. So... The, you have to make the investment now. And like I, I make this point because, and I'll say it again, Ireland has, is the country with the highest growth of emissions in the European Union. Yet the only success the government have been at in relation targets is that they've increased carbon tax every year. It doesn't work. That is not the type of approach that we should be having at this point in time. It is putting in the necessary supports. It's making sure that middle income earners can actually afford to retrofit their homes. It's actually bringing a package like we did, 60 million euro for retrofits that, who are burning turf and solid fuel. Government aren't even looking at that. They're just saying, we'll, we'll hype more carbon tax in you. They're just making those families poor. They need to support people rolling out public transport in a, in a far more aggressive way. Nature restoration funds. None of this is on is, is announced by the government today. And like, if you think carbon tax is, the, is going to solve our emissions growing, it's not because we've had the experiment. We've seen petrol and diesel go up. We've seen home heat and oil go up and it hasn't changed people's behaviour. It can change people's behaviour. The price can change people's behaviour when you have the alternatives there. And that's the problem. It is a carrot and stick approach. Government are all stick. We want to be far more carried. Pierce, I think there's going to be an ongoing debate about Sinn Féin's approach to these issues as we as we move towards the general election over the over the next twelve months or so. And I think it probably deserves a, at least a, a full podcast in, in in its own right. Possibly a series. Uh, well, indeed, why not? Oh, uh, without your funny voices, Pat. But just put, put something to you, Pat, before we wrap it up because we have to do that very soon. I think it's fair to say that over the last while you have been returning more than once to a theme, which is that Sinn Féin has been navigating its way from the left to the centre-left, or indeed to the centre as it prepares for 
government. Uh, would that be right? And is Sinn Féin's reaction to this budget, does that kind of bolster that view? I think it's entirely of a piece with that uh, with that moment. I've described it as well as kind of preparing for government, which some people seem to think is some sort of a criticism. It's actually anything, uh, it's anything but. I think that, you know, uh, Pierce, Pierce would admit that Sinn Féin's approach to budget critique is a lot more comprehensive, layered, and less simplistic than it used to be 10, 15 years ago. Oh, let's check. Do you think, do you agree with that, Pierce? I, I think um, over the years, obviously, we've professionalized and we've every year we try to increase uh, our professionalism in relation to, to this. Um, I, no, I don't in, agree in, with in the overall policy, narrative. In a pure I, I, policy I, I, sense. I mean, there was a time when, you know, Jerry Adams would have, you know, told the Ireland's lenders to take their money and, and bugger off. There was a time when Sinn Féin was in favour of leaving the European Union, of nationalising industry and all, the, all yeah, those well, sort well, of things. You, I, I think you're going back. I'm going back to no, fairness, no, yeah, 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 I think you're going back to nearly before I was born in, in, some, of these, in some of these instances. But look, you know, look as a, as, a, as an opposition party, and and some of this has been supported by some of the changes that have happened in the Arctis. So we've got the uh, uh, parliamentary budgetary office, which is really helpful, where they can model a number of costings and stuff for us now. Um, but absolutely, like we, we want to be a party of government, you know, and we present an alternative budget, which doesn't happen in in modern Europe in opposition parties, where we do a costed alternative budget and launch it before the government launched theirs, and before many of the leaks come out from the papers as well. In 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 that regard. Um, and and we, we do that because we believe that, like, many years ago, the question, the debate always been, oh, your figures don't add up or all that. Nobody questions their figures anymore. Maybe the government will try it the odd time, you know, but nobody questions that. And really what we want to debate is about vision and policy. Yes, we can do this or we can do that. And that's the difference between, that's the, the type of debate. And I think that's where people are at now. And the election was, in 2020, was a, a tipping point. Uh, you know, I remember somebody coming out of the, the after the election and they said to me, I walked into that polling station voting for change, but I never thought that hundreds of thousands of people were doing the same thing. And they have now stepped over a point where they now believe that change is really, really possible. And I think it's impossible to close that door on people. And our, our alternatives are about actually saying, what is possible? Um, and, and using the same resources in some cases, you know, using some of the same parameters as, as budget, but how you would invest and how you would make things different. It's, you know, I, I made a speech recently in relation to the Dublin Economics Conference, and I made the point that actually uh, the centre has moved towards Sinn Féin. Uh, and that's the reality. We've put Sinn Féin has moved we, we, towards the centre we've, as well. Well, look, you know, would you accept that? We're a party of the left. We're mm. a party of the left. And if you look at what Fine Gael and you know, as a, a scholar of politics, you, if you look at Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and look at even the budgets that they have been forced to introduce this year, it would be unheard of that they would be doing what they're doing. No, the issue of childcare fees was not on the political agenda until Sinn Féin put it on the political agenda. We made a commitment we would cut fees by two thirds. Renters. No support for them until we put it on the agenda. The issue of a bigger state, more support in terms of health, housing, all of that, we have forced the centre into our ground. So people have now, and COVID has been a, a tipping point for people as well, because COVID was a que where everybody questioned, you know, the value 
of the essential worker, the value of the services. And, and I think that people now recognise that the arguments that Sinn Féin were putting forward are are ones that now resonate with them, whereas Fine Gael were very much about the private sector, leave it to the private sector, outsourcing private hospitals, all of that. So now it's moving towards, no, it's not the two-tier anymore. Let's do a single-tier health service. Let's cut third-level fees. Things that Fine Gael were arguing to bring, you know, to increase fees in the past and actually bring in student, uh, student loan systems. So I think the centre has moved towards Sinn Féin. I think our, our presentation in relation to our budgets absolutely has has professionalised and it is not as simplistic as it would have been provided maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and, 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 and that's for, for a number so of reasons. ready for government? Absolutely, we're ready for government and hungry for change. And if there's... If there's one thing that I take from this 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 budget is that the longer this government stays in office, the worse things will get for ordinary people in health and housing. On that note, we will leave it there. Thanks very much indeed to Pierce and to Jen and to Pat. Thanks to our producer Declan Collin, our engineer JJ Vernon. We're going to be back with you very soon indeed. Until then, thank you very much for listening.